This episode of the Council of the First Ones was recorded on September 29th, 2019. Hello, everybody. Thank you for coming back. This is part two of our September 29, 2019 Council of the First Ones episode. In progress. I was thinking about the various incarnations of Masters of the Universe and the cartoons. We've had the Filmation cartoon. We had New Adventures. We had the 2000X. And now with Revelations, there's a whole bunch of what are we going to get with this? There's a whole bunch of speculation. So going into this as fans, I was really curious. What would you guys want to see in this show? Like if, if Mattel... And Netflix came to you and said, here's here's this franchise. Here's this license. Do your thing with it. And maybe you're not even shackled to the previous stuff. What would you want to see as your version of He-Man that we're going to put out now in the 21st century? I think the thing I want to see most is the continuation like you're talking about. But go into the Snake Men. Tell us. Uh, show us the Snake Men. Show us. What happens when the evil horde arrives on Eternia? Show us more of what we've seen in the comics produced by DC as of late. Give us more of a not gory aspect, but a more realistic perspective of the cost of war, the cost of having to uh, save your world. I like that. The stakes. You you want to see some higher stakes in this one or this time around compared to the previous increment. Exactly. I want the stakes to be raised. I want to feel that we have to do this or we're going to die, but not necessarily have the death and gore just for the sake of it, but for the point of impact that this is a real situation. Well, it, just uh, I'm going to stick with uh, Rex for a second just to get through his idea, and uh, and then we'll go to each person for this part, I guess. W- would you want to see anything in the mythology You want to keep the mythology that's already been established so you don't have to start with new stuff, I'm guessing, from the way it sounds. It's more you just want to dig in and just tell a new story that's like building on what's already there. I want the mythology to be there. I want He-Man to have gone to space. I want him to have got to come back to Eternia, him to have to become King He-Man. I want to see the continuation of how they – multi-layered it and put it together and fitted the timeline okay okay that's cool Hmm. you know with me i would love to see something on the vein of the classics i think there was such a history that the classics you know did put in the bio i know people made fun of scott knightlick when he wrote the bios and if crespo was here i would have had him recant some of his famous lines when we talked about the bios but there was a history that needs to be encompassed into it and there has to be like clear ideas that once there was a king he-man there was a preternia there was an age of technology there was an incident that sent everybody back to the dark ages and we live in this time where there is technology and barbarianism and heroes are trying to sort it out. And we have these forces of evil that want to take these powers and it goes to the greater universe. And eventually there is an epic story that could be as big as Lord of the Rings, that it travels through this voyage and it leads He-Man to different times he's ended up in the past he ended up in space he's ended up returned and i wish there was something i would have loved to have seen it all visually i mean i i do my own stories and uh, i do it for fun and my own amusement i rarely share them but i always like to see well what would have happened here how did things go i mean they encompassed everything and I remember Scott saying that he was going to put Songster in the toy line and Songster was going to be the one who does filmation stories. But the stories did happen. The stories did happen, but they were, he kind of kiddified them or glorified them. And I was, and that sparked some of my writing going, well, how would the Colossus Awakens be if it was more serious? 
what would the real origin of Tila be if it wasn't fluffed for kids? You know, and yeah, that led me on to this road of how would a series be more serious if they included, you know, the 2000X teased it. They did have like the little cameos, the Diamond Ray of Disappearance ended up in one episode. And uh, I always thought, okay, that'd be cool if like some of those crossed over, some of the stories would have crossed over. And then now at the con where they talked about Masters of the Multi-Universe, like how is it that if things crossed over, things continued, but I still want like the classics, you know, that's, that's what I always wanted to see. I wanted to see a cartoon that took us to those places. And sadly, I don't think there ever is going to be something that's going to take us everywhere. Even Revelations, uh, I think it's going to be its own thing. And, uh, I don't think it's going to answer everything. Mm-hmm. I think that there's there's so much potential for the Revelations cartoon, and uh, I would love to see the storyline use filmation as a base, uh, you know, and to include characters that we, you know, from the vintage toy line like Stinkor and vehicles and accessories, things that you know never made it into the filmation cartoon series. Uh, I think it can be certainly more serious. I don't think that there's any need for gore or, I don't know, swearing. Uh, I think they can, you know, keep it fairly clean. Um, I think that uh, it could reference a lot of the old material, like the mini-comics, the golden books, like the Sunbird Legacy even, you know, some uh, scenes we saw in the coloring books or paint books or, you know, uh, really dig into uh, everything that we've loved about Masters of the Universe growing up. And uh, I did want to mention, uh, I feel like the story could be introduced through another character. Uh, you know, like, for instance, if Zodak was uh, in space fighting uh, in a ship fighting uh, the horde and you know came down and crash landed and onto Eternia that sort of thing uh, but you know as far as the horde I feel I think I've mentioned before I really feel the horde act that horde act and the other horde uh, should be portrayed as they were before the the She-Ra cartoon okay although again it's if it's filmation then yeah it you know the the He-Man show bled into the She-Ra show so either yeah. way I guess would be fun being a galactic force i want to see them how they own so much territory how powerful they are i want them to show that they're a real threat i actually like that idea of zodak being the one that is trying to figure stuff out and maybe he's like the guy that comes to eternia and it's the whole this is out there yeah we have a problem you know like having him be afraid of something that would make it have some credibility because he's not supposed to be partial to one side or the other. Exactly. So the idea that he's having to raise the goodness and the warriors to fight this ridiculous monstrosity of evil that's, you know, like a cancer throughout the cosmos, basically. That would be really cool. Well, yeah, that's right. what I thought the uh, the old, uh, not the old, but the past, uh, the Infinity War, not Infinity War. I'm Eternity sorry. War. Yeah, the Eternity War. <laughs> Uh, I know as soon as I said it, I knew I messed up, but the, uh, this is what I thought the infinity war got right. That, <laughs> that they had to, I said it you again. You did it again. You did it again. Okay. Blah, let me reset. This is what I thought the Eternian war got right. That they said there was a balance and they kept talking in masters of the universe. We have the forces of good, the forces of evil, the forces of good had Zor and the sorceress as the avatar. And they added, well, Serpos in, a, in an extent to Horakoth. And uh, they had all this, you know, and there was these two forces that had to meet. And the end had to be here, that the end was here. And I really enjoyed that. I really love that part. But going back to it, I wish we were there with Masters of the Universe from the beginning before we got into that DC Comics. Because I thought uh, you guys were saying action, but not gore and all that. And I kept thinking, you know, that DC Comics series did kind of get that. 
you know, there was some action, there was some violence, but um, not there was a little bit of gore, but not extensively. And the stakes were incredibly high, which, again, the DC Comics, that version did it get all that. But we never saw the history. We never yeah. saw the war. We never saw the the issues that led up to it. We knew there was a history with He-Man and Skeletor, but we never saw any of the regular battles. We jumped in at the end. Yeah, I agree with that, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know uh, Crespo actually posted his thoughts, and I was going to read them. I, I uh, copied them down because he gave some pretty thoughtful ideas as well um so he said basically taking elements from past media mini comics cartoons etc and making a brand new continuity kind of like classics so there you go just like what you're hoping for any um but not following the the nightlick verse as he calls it <laughs> the, you mean his uh, mortal enemy yeah basically he, he wouldn't he wouldn't want to go there i know but <laughs> the tone would be similar to the young justice just the tone would be similar to young justice crossed with 2000x and aiming for a Y7 to to TV14 rating, there would be some changes that might be controversial. Let's use Adam as an example. He He's a long-haired brunette instead of blonde. He's both the barbarian and the attorney and prince. When Hordak kidnaps the twins, Duncan He-Man and Tealana saved Adam. At the behest of the dying sorceress, Adam is taken to He-Man's tribe. Tealana takes the mantle of sorceress while pregnant with he-Man's child. Adam is raised with the tribe after He-Man's death. Duncan keeps uh, visiting the tribe with his daughter, quote-unquote daughter, uh, who befriends the young prince. At the age of 16, Adam learns of his destiny, both as prince of Eternia and defender of Grayskull. Adam has trouble adapting to palace life. He's a bit of a wild child who cares little about his princely duties. Partying, fighting, uh, women are his interests, much to Randor's chagrin. In fact, Adam tends to sneak out at night and fight in, in illegal gladiatorial matches as the savage Wondar. That part, I thought, was like, that's interesting. I, I, being completely removed from anything else that we know, but pretty cool. Um, it would add Vicron to the story, too. Yeah, and then and then we that could be the big gore potent, or component of it is, okay, we get to see Vicron and his ending. Because when I read that in the classics bios, I was like, holy crap, that's horrible. <laughs> uh, once his duties as He-Man begin to increase, his disappearances are chalked up to his playboy behavior. He also tags along on missions to prove his strength to Randor. As the series progresses, Adam and He-Man's differences begin to fade as both become one, not only physically, but in personality. Um it would be just Adam who changes throughout the series, or it wouldn't be just Adam that changes throughout the series. Teela would as well. Uh, she'd start with a very yellowish shade of orange in her hair, and after learning that Adam has a preference for redhead, she gradually, ch gradually change her hair to the traditional red. Sidelining Randor would involve old battle wounds, diminishing his combat prowess. The battle against Keldor let both brother left both brothers in bad shape. Um, there's a whole bunch of other stuff he put in here, but basically he he's like reinventing the whole mythos in that. And I kind of dig that aspect of it because it's almost then it's its own thing and it can just truck forward. And I thought that was kind of cool. That's really but, uh, well thought out. Oh, I, when he when he put that out there and there's still like at least another couple more paragraphs. I, I was feeling bad that I was reading it all and putting that all out there. But he thought through that to the point where I'm like, I'd love to just hear it if he wrote it. And, you know, sit down and actually read his idea because yeah. it, it's really interesting because like anything I thought up, I was like, you know, one from column A, one from column B in my thought, I guess. So because I, I guess for me, I like the Power of Grayskull episode in 2000X for the fact that when they went there, I'm like, well, it would make sense. The castle's called Grayskull. And yes, it looks gray and, and it's a skull. But maybe there was a King Grayskull because places name their castles after the people who inhabited them at times. So the idea of that, but the way they did it with MYP, I always felt it was too easy. Like the whole, Oh, the power was in you all along. That drove me nuts. So like, I, I like the idea. He, he wasn't about trying to find the inner power. He was somebody that was going to all the different realms and uniting them against the horde. And through all the realms being united, that gave him the power. 
and maybe they gave him something that was important to them to help aid him in that battle. So he collected all this stuff, and when he died, that was part of the spirit of him that ended up being the power of Grayskull, and it wasn't just your essence is what it is. Because I can, I know there's a lot of people that hate that, you know, and it, they're like, oh, it diminishes He-Man or whatever. To me, it's like I like that he got the ball rolling, and He-Man is the one that actually uses it that, and it wasn't, well, you know, the other way around or whatever. The way uh, one iteration, just to add a little bit to it, the way Scott Knightlick saw Castle Gray, I mean King Grayskull, I really liked was that he kind of followed that 2000x map, but he wanted to uh, to make clear and he was eventually going to make a little bit of things more clear with the bios if you got to it that king grayskull was able to harness the power and the power itself was connected to eternia that he wanted eternia and a lot of the same myths were that eternia had essentially the life-giving force the that's why you know at the center of the universe between the border of light and darkness yeah you know and the eternia was the one that held the power and that's why um the way he saw it and again this is why i loved his idea for it was that it had the elemental powers of the universe and henceforth because he asked himself why is it called masters of the universe and he said because Eternia holds the elemental forces of the universe, and part of the elemental forces is good versus bad. And heroes will be called to go there. If you are destined for it, somehow destiny, or again, through circumstances, positive or negative, you know, an accident or something, will draw you to that place, and you will be a warrior. If you're an evil one, again, circumstances will draw you to Eternia you will battle it out because it is the forces of the universe. And he said King Grayskull was the first one that was able to tap into the for into the power of it, the force of it, but it killed him. Mm-hmm. He wasn't ready. He was not equipped for it. And he says the difference between, you know, King Grayskull and He-Man was that He-Man was born for it. Mm-hmm. He was born to hold the power. He was born to use it it was part of him for king grayskull he took the power and he used it but it killed him he-man is essentially stronger more powerful than king grayskull they're not mm-hmm. equals. they well, were they, he said he was never in equal to king um to king grayskull he was their ancestor yeah and so to a lesser well, extent he was weaker maybe we'll find out in the multiverse comic book series who's stronger that's possible well, that was the idea, and I like that idea because I, I don't want to diminish He-Man at all. It was how they added Kiro and how he was the one that wielded the power and gave the power to King Grayskull. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't want to diminish He-Man because it's like, why are we telling that story otherwise? You know, I mean, that's that's pretty much the main thing. But I, I always like the idea in my head. Like, I don't, I don't know it quite as in depth compared to what you were saying, but I. I I was like the idea that King Grayskull was the one that got the ball rolling, knowing this is something that needs to be confronted with good, and, and, you know, like the horde and everything else, and the Snake Man because he fought the Snake Man too in the in the histories at least, and I, it it always made me go that would be really cool. But then, like if I did my own, I would love to do the the dual power sword because that was something that drove me nuts about filmation when I was a kid. I thought they were going to go there and then they didn't even touch it, and I've been waiting to see that play out without being a mini comic for like almost 40 years now. So I would, uh, I would want to go that route with anything I come up with and be like, I want to just see it. I want to just, how does that work? He man's going to have his ax and shield. Now, how does that work? You know? And, and like, you know, when he gets the sword together, then you can finally get your, I have the power, but maybe there isn't an Adam. Maybe there is. I don't know. Like I haven't really, I didn't do the Crespo version in my head at all. I was, I was doing broad strokes, but, but I would, I would love to see the mini comics come to life for once because I feel like, you know, we've seen the filmation identity of, of He-Man in pop culture since the eighties. And there's a little bit of like, I kind of want to see a different take finally, other than the movie version, which, you know, he was He-Man through the whole movie too and all that. But what about that dual power sword? What about, you know, all that, the mysteries and all that of, of the way it was set up originally and stuff. And just to point out, like, the different versions we had, 
the Alcala version was limited. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can't imagine them going to all these extra characters they ended up with in the Alcala version. I can't imagine like Clapchamp or Extendar and all this technology. To me, things had to evolve. Mm-hmm. And Filmation, as much as people praise it, the writers kind of had a point that they kind of went as far as they felt they could go. They 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 really couldn't think of any more stories. And so you have to introduce elements, especially with these new characters. Where do you go with these characters? How do we go from here to there? You know, how do we add Clamp Champ? How do we add? And 2000X, they did have a plan. I, I honestly wish it extended to the six seasons they hoped to get. And I would have loved to seen the story developed. It would have gone to, uh, to, I think it would have been amazing new levels with the horde arriving and Shira was going to be introduced and they were going to discover lost technologies and, you know, certain people were going to die and new heroes were going to come and the rebels and, all this and oh i just wish it would have gone to it but mm-hmm. it did it and so i hope there is finally going to be a series that'll take us to where we want it to go yeah i mean the the, the storytelling on on 2000x for me like i was a snot about it when it first came out because i was like well where's the filmation theme song i thought it was gonna be like an update of that you know or the and this and that and then i was like well the transformation sequence was lackluster compared to the original filmation and then i i just had like filmation 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 in my head but then i went back a couple years after it ended and i'm watching it on youtube and i'm like i really was stupid because this show has a lot of meat to it and it, it went into history and it went into i mean just the whole light and dark hemispheres aspect of things. And then you find out about Snake Mountain and the history behind that. King Grayskull. It, it just it had such a rich storytelling to it. And it, it still to this day blows my mind that not everybody who likes Masters has even tried that show. And I think they're still so, so owned a filmation for that reason. And it's like, no, this was great. You, I mean, you might not like the power sword because I know there's a ton of people that hated that power sword. But there's still so much good stuff in this. You know, it's it's drawing from a lot of different things to make a really interesting canvas to play with. You know, it's yeah. very funny you mentioned how people hate the power sword because actually on the original Castle Grayskull flags, on the original toy model from the 80s, that was what the sword looked like on that flag. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I thought about that too. It's like it's, it's like an homage to that. And... I didn't mind it really, but you know, it's also, it was also a product of the time because they were so worried about doing anime for this and everything in anime is huge. Like, I mean, Fisto, even the classics figure, the Fisto sword from 2000 X, he can't even hold it upright. That thing's so freaking <laughs> huge. And it's like, I've tried it and he falls off the shelf. I'm like, that's impressive to me. But, uh, so like in that way, it's like, it is, it is something that I'm, I could give or do, give or take it. I'm not going to say it's amazing. I'm also not going to say I hate it because at this point I still enjoy that era of it, you know. But when I first saw it, I was like, "Well, that's not that's not what I've ever known of as the power sword." But okay, let's see where this goes. You want a terrible? I mean, I had the um, snake armor He-Man figure, which again was not a great figure. I, I bought him. I had him shipped from Europe here. One, he was shorter than all the other figures. <laughs> And then wow. that sword, he couldn't hold that sword. That sword, because it had a projectile in it, was just so huge. And the handle was so rubbery. Oh, jeez. Oh, I absolutely hated that. I hated that. I hated that figure for a long time. I even hated it worse than Disco Skeletor. <laughs> and Actually, I love the classics version of the, uh, the snake armored He-Man. Yeah. And the, yes, those were awesome. Well, I was going to point out that once the classic version came out, I made peace with it. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll tell you that the classics version of that is probably one of my absolute favorite sculpts out of the line, because I for being a one off figure that they're not really there. You didn't intend any of that to be replaced in something else like you're not going to use parts again for something else. It's a heck of a gorgeous figure to look at and be like, that is a snake armor. He man. I mean, that's. I know they reuse some parts from it, but the the armor and all that stuff on him is like, no, that's Snake Armor He-Man, and I I really enjoy. Oh. It. 
All right, so there is this petition online on change.org that's urging fans to uh, let people know that they want Alan Oppenheimer, the original voice actor for Skeletor on the Filmation cartoon, they want him to be to reprise his role as Skeletor in the new He-Man Netflix series, the uh, Masters of the Universe Revelation cartoon uh, from uh, Kevin Smith. And it all it, right now it has uh, 420, 427 that have signed. Their goal is 500. I'm sure it'll uh, you know get get a bit higher than that. And uh, I actually found out about this petition uh, through the Facebook page of the voice actress for the original She-Ra, uh, and she was helping to promote the 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 uh, the poll. So I thought that was it's a really exciting idea. I think Alan Oppenheimer was a great Skeletor, but I think his time is over. Um, that era, uh, completely different. I cannot imagine, or I would not have him in a different iteration of Skeletor. And the uh, Revelations is not going to be filmation. I agree. And I, and I think whoever made this poll uh, probably has it confused. I kind of feel, honestly, that Oppenheimer was an excellent Skeletor. He was uh, by my for my my favorite. But honestly, I think that he um, he shouldn't probably reprise his role based on his age. Uh, not just that, but in the sense of his health and whatnot, he might not be able to keep up with the demand of having to uh, record for the studio. Yeah, he is in his eighties, I believe. I remember meeting him at Paracon, uh, I think uh, a few years ago, and he told me that he was the voice actor for uh, for Cringer as well. And so uh, he he tried to do a little bit of it, but then he said that he wasn't supposed to try that with his throat, you know. So um, so yeah, I would agree that it could be, and I don't want to, you know. Make blank and make a blanket statements about his health, but I, I agree that you know perhaps that that could be a, a factor in why he would wouldn't be necessarily the be- best uh, choice for uh, for the new cartoon. I did like he did do Skeletor for a promotional video for the uh, character guide, which uh, got a big laugh out of everybody at a panel. He was like, "I'm so lonely." You know, I can't do Skeletor, but it didn't quite sound the same. You know, I remember that. Yeah, his voice did age, didn't it? It did, and I remember. I think I believe he was part of a a, a commercial video that Super Seven did to promote the their Snake Mountain playset. And notice, uh. he he didn't do the Geico commercials. <laughs> I think. The reason the reason that I was like, could we cover this? Is I feel like every every toy line from the '80s has been able to do something different since the '80s. And I know, like in the Transformers movies, like Peter Cullen is there to be Optimus Prime, and that gives you that sense of it's like a warm, cozy blanket to wrap around you when you see those movies. You're like, but at least there's Optimus Prime's voice, you know. And I feel like Masters of the Universe at this point is right on the cusp of being another a, a household name to a new generation. And we, as a fandom, just are so in love with what we had almost 40 years ago. And it was good. It, it inspired us. It, 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 it gave us stories that ignited our imaginations. It, it, like Alan Oppenheimer even was talking about, you know, there were episodes of Filmation that fans came up to him and said, hey, that moral of the story actually it helped me in my life or whatever. And he got emotional talking about it. And I love that. And it shows, it shows the power of the, that series. But I'm also in the mindset in my forties to go, I I'm never going to say he's a bad Skeletor. Alan Oppenheimer was pretty much that's Skeletor's voice in my head. When I see the character, no matter what I do, but I'm also like, let's try something new. Let's do something different now, because even Brian Dobson, was he he was keeping a bit of the Oppenheimer in there as a bridge between then and now for the 2000X. I want to hear a different Skeletor, you know? I want to hear like a maybe like a Frank Langella take where it's more like he's he's barking commands and he's he's way less 
humorous and way more he's just like a tyrant or something or maybe a more sinister skeleton or something and you know for me I, I always get that feeling of as fans of this this line we keep going back to filmation and while that was a great show for its time there's so much more potential with this line that we don't get in filmation and i'm really wanting to see that come to light finally and i don't i don't begrudge anybody for feeling they want him back it's also a feeling of of you know i we can't retread the same thing over and over again and hope that this gets other generations excited it's just going to be my dad like that why do i care you know and that scares me because I, I don't want the line to die with us in that way. I think you had a good point. You know, I mean, Alan Oppenheimer to me was Skeletor. Time moves on. Mm-hmm. And Brian Dobson was brilliant. I enjoyed Brian Dobson's uh, voice work. Yes, he did pay homage to Alan Oppenheimer with the laugh. And he did have that, that pitch voice. And whenever I uh, the discussion about Skeletor's voice comes up, I like what James Edoch said in the uh, documentary was that Alan Oppenheimer made that character because if it was a dark demon voice and all that, it would have fallen under a generic villain. Yeah. He made Skeletor unique with that. And Skeletor stood out with us. I mean, he Skeletor is just as important as he man. Yeah. I mean, amazingly, they go hand in hand. Superman can have Lex Luthor. Yes, everybody agrees. Batman has the Joker, but there's all the villains. But for He-Man, it's Skeletor. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Skeletor. And then everybody else is Skeletor's henchmen. Mm-hmm. And to do that, yeah, I mean, it depends on the situation. I mean, it'd be really awesome if we got Frank Langella to come in on Revelations yeah. and do the voice of Skeletor. He was brilliant. I loved him in that performance. He really... Uh, I do love his voice. I do love the uh, the dialogue he oh, came yeah. up with. It's almost Shakespearean in it. And he did say that he did tap into Shakespeare, you know, coming up with some of those dialogues. And he did write some of his dialogue. But yeah, you know, if I was the, if I was working with Kevin Smith and we were auditioning for voice actors to do Skeletor, that to me would be the hardest one I would be focusing on. Not so much He-Man. Uh, He-Man would be like my second choice. I mean, the second most important voice actor. Uh, somebody who can decently project by the power of Grayskull. You know, having an actor to play Skeletor, he has to be menacing. And like you said, we have to pick. You know, Do you want him to be dark, demonic voiced? Or do you want him to have that pitch sound so we can have some laughter out of him? Or how? And I, what I loved was Brian Dobson and the animators when they would just have Skeletor just standing there and you would see the flare come out of his eyes. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> you have something to say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, even uh, going to that really quick, the episode where the snake men took over Snake Mountain and the way that he brought out in his voice the amount of hatred and rage in that scene where the, the throne is like gobbling him up and he's like basically cursing out evil Lynn and all. And it's like that worked. That for me was like, that's a Skeletor that if you do that to him and he comes back, you're done. And unfortunately like the Oppenheimer one, I never ever got that fear out of. And, and I, I guess I appreciated that he didn't do that for the age I was watching it on a daily basis and stuff. But then, you know, for me on filmation, there are episodes that are darker than that, that actually stuck with me like house of Shikoti. And it's because it went to darker levels than they were doing on the typical episodes, because the subject matter was even crazier than Skeletor's trying to get into the gray skull again, you know, or so I, I, I just, I'm one of those people where I would love to just see, them take it to a next level instead of just keeping what they already had and on top of that i agree they didn't let frank welker play megatron in the transformers movies because they said his voice aged out he didn't sound like megatron anymore and it's like you know people get older they change they move on and stuff and it's like i i'll never begrudge alan oppenheimer's contribution to what masters is for a lot of us but i'm just like 
I think whoever started that probably said, oh, they're picking up from where Filmation was. We need them back then. And it's like, are you going to get John Irwin too? He's a recluse. He doesn't want to do this stuff. I mean, he's they, good luck said finding how many, him. Yeah, they said how many times they've tried to get into PowerCon. Even on the one uh, video, uh, the documentary, Alan Oppenheimer's like, you know, he says he do, he's not He Man. He'll disappoint people. He's like, well, I'm not Skeletor, and I still show up. You know, I mean, so I I don't know. I'm just very much in. I want new and it's not because it's not for the sake of new. It's this is our chance to show off what this is to another generation. That stuff is still there. It's on DVD. It's a whole different, a whole bunch of different places. You can find those. And this is new. Let's try something that isn't what we're already used to. So then even us old fans will go. Now that was something I didn't expect, you know, and Skeletor, you know, I don't need him to go, meh, you know? So, oh, yeah. Let's get away from that yeah. a little bit, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, I need the Skeletor laugh. I need his cackle. <laughs> well, the, well, the cackle is one thing, but the meh is a whole different thing, I think. At this yeah, point. my daughter always like, meh, I'm Skeletor, meh. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like my, my son's three, and he just got exposed to this, and he actually runs around the house doing the John Irwin, I have the power. Nice. And it, every time my wife looks at me and I'm just like, I'm the proudest father right now. You don't even know. <laughs> but the, the thing is, like, when I, I I say to him, like, we do, we do like, a, okay, what does He-Man say? And then he'll do, by the power of Grayskull, I have the power. What does Skeletor say? He goes, He-Man. And that's his version of Skeletor. And I'm like, <laughs> that's fine, but let's do something else. Because <laughs> I don't, you know, to him, it's funny because he makes us laugh. And I'm like, I don't want Skeletor to be that anymore. I'd love for him to be a force of destruction because that's what he's supposed to be the lord of destruction you know and so but i will say though really really quick on the on the voices though i think cam clark did an amazing prince adam and i love that it does you know he he had this definitive here's the line where adam stops and he man begins but when he did i have the power it always reminded me of the guy that does the wrestler or the, not the wrestler the boxing matches in vegas where he's like let's get ready to rumble and it's like when he does i have the power it's like i have the power and i'm like no it's supposed to be this like primal scream from he-man when he gets the power it's like i have the power you know and it's like that's how it's supposed to sound <laughs> 2000x it's like for all the good that drives me nuts and it's in every episode <laughs> and i'm not trying to bash cam clark he did an amazing job as both he-man and adam but that's the one part where i would have wanted to talk to the director and just go, are you sure he wants to do it like that? You know, like, can we can we do like maybe three more takes and just have him do it a little more traditional first and let's see what one works the best? Well, with tech, today's technology, they can work wonders with that. Uh, I remember uh, Scott Nilek, I was talking to him about the classics figures and uh, King Grayskull, the original set that had the opening jaw bridge that, and it, you heard his voice. Mm-hmm. And the lightning, uh, he said, and I don't know if he was joking with me. He said that that was actually his voice that they altered to sound like Castle to to sound like King Grayskull. Now I have that on my shelf, but it doesn't have batteries. I'm gonna have to try that because yeah. I really want to hear <laughs> that now. Yeah, the batteries <laughs> died on mine a long time ago. Well, I thought if they can make him sound like King Grayskull, I mean, you know, they can. Yeah, they can absolutely work wonders with whoever they choose for you know skeletor and he-man and the rest for the new series it's true i mean i think i i like to joke with people and i always say that transformation is a part of my dna after how many times i heard it as a child and to this day like for all of the things about filmation where i'm like i'm fine with leaving it in the past and the nostalgia to move forward there's something about when you when Adam gets into that pose and you know he's about to pull out the sword, you're like, yeah. And and like my buddy, he made the he made the comment one time. He's like, yeah, every time that happened, you automatically grew ch like chest hair because there was this <laughs> like it's such a macho moment on that series. And it's like, bam, every day at like three o'clock, you got this testosterone injection of this is he man. He's like, ah. The power and it's like yeah you know so i i've to until the day i die i'll always say you know john Irwin knocked that out of the park 
it with he was the originator but man it's like nothing's come close to that of how amazing that feels to watch that moment still yeah. and you said it yourself just a little bit of tweaking um especially today i mean with audacity you know we can i've played around where i gave myself robot voice and with uh john Irwin, they always like did a slight reverb to his voice yeah when he echo. was he-man mm-hmm. yeah you know to sound greater tougher bigger you know and that's what they do with a giant voice remember like a giant would step in they would have that echo you know yeah <laughs> and that's you know cartoon trickery which you know today sky's the limit you know i mean Mer, you know poor alan oppenheimer he did like uh uh merman for us where he said, you know, he gave us a little bubble and he, and he said the same thing. Oh, I can't do it too much, guys, you know, and nowadays it's no big deal to just put a little filter and he'll have that aquatic voice. Mm-hmm. But it still requires a little bit of effort in the voice actor, you know, to do a monster voice Do uh, you know, I mean, I in filmation. It got silly at times because they were like, OK, you know, Melanie, do a French voice and you're Marmista. You know, Erica Scheimer. I mean, her doing uh, the harpy, you know, Hungar the harpy, mm-hmm. and all these other voices. Eventually, if you pay attention, you hear them. Worst one though was Voltron, because Voltron they'd use the same actors for everything, even the female voices. Mm-hmm. And it got ridiculous. <laughs> hear it, hear, watch a Voltron episode, you know, and you'll hear like some of the peasant ladies, and it's the same guys trying to talk like girls. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I guess it was cost, you know, cost incentives. Like, okay, exactly. we only have three people doing all that this episode. They're like, you know how much a voice actor costs? I ain't paying for that. You play a voice actor. You do. Well, I mean, heck, it was it, it was just John Irwin, Alan Oppenheimer, um, Erica Scheimer, Linda Gary, and Lou Scheimer. That was pretty much their whole cast, I think, on the filmation series, if I remember right. Maybe there was one other person, but. And and it's funny because like you once you got after a first like you know say the first ten or twenty episodes you would just go like they reused that voice for this guy or whatever and and it just you could kind of tell you know they did the best that they could with what they could do with the voices and all that stuff but it's like that's John Irwin again you can't disguise he man I know he's there so <laughs> well, I loved it because Webster and Prince Adam were the same voice yeah and and uh, like. The, the one that bugged me for some reason was Fisto, because when you heard Fisto, he sounded almost like he was just talking into a coffee can all the time. And it's like, ah, <laughs> oh, you know, like he, he should sound like like a burly guy that would start a bar fight. He shouldn't sound like somebody talking into a coffee cup or, what, or a coffee can. They can't. I, thought, I would uh, have asked for a Canadian for, accent. Oh, for him. <laughs> I thought Buzzoff was rather unique. Oh, and that was John Irwin, too, wasn't it? I mean, I'm not going to try to imitate it, but he he went for like a high pitch and had a bzz, 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 kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Hey, man, bzz, we must. See, Crespo was here. He'd do a better job beyond that. I just, yeah, I, the voice, again, that's where talent comes in. But yeah, mm-hmm. you, as a grown adult, as a kid, you don't pay attention. But as an adult, you, you hear him and you're like, okay, okay. Even uh, uh, Prince Adam on 2000X, when I was watching, I'm like, I know that voice. I know that voice. And then it's like, that's Leonardo. And, it, you know, it's like even crossing over cartoons even and not just doing the same cartoon. And that's something I liked about 2000X, at least, is they had enough of a voice cast that you weren't falling into that quite as often on that show. But the one that always stuck out as, a, as the, yeah, the sore thumb was Stratos. The Sean Connery. <laughs> yeah, why did they go with the Sean Connery? I never understood that. It wor- I mean, it worked I in a it. sense. It, it, it worked, worked in a sense. It's like, it was so weird that I embraced it, but I was also like, but it's Sean Connery. <laughs> well, I give credit. Let me go back to this. You know, with the Voltron series, at least they had diversity. And the, there was tons of voice actors in that series. And in Shira too, there there is a good amount of voice actors. Mm-hmm. In there, I don't even think they've repeated the. I mean, maybe they kept the same background characters, but um, I think they've they've had quite a bit, a number of voice actors. Mm-hmm. So at least they're doing some diversity there. <laughs> but wow, yeah, it took talent back in the day just because they were saving some bucks. Okay, that's perfectly fine. 
you know, like same thing. Like I was just thinking of um, the old DC ones with the Justice League episode. Michael Dorn, uh, who played Worf on Star Trek, was also a voice actor. He did like Steel, Calibac. <laughs> he did like seven DC characters just in different tones. Yeah. Phil Lamar, who's an amazing actor and a voice actor, was like 12 characters. Yeah, that's right. I I always got a kick out of uh, on Transformers. They had Scatman Crothers doing jazz. And there was a story where they said uh, he went up to the one voice actor and said, can you show me which robot I am finally? Because he didn't even know who he was voicing the entire time. And the one voice actor took him out and he showed him the toy. He's like, oh, that's my guy. That's cool. You know, and it's like that was one guy. He had one and that was it. You know, (laughs) that was his guy was jazz. And now our character spotlight. Our character spotlight is going to be on Zodak. Z-O-D-A-C. His name also is Zodak Zur. He carries many titles. The Cosmic Enforcer. The Cosmic Explorer. The Master of the Cosmos. He has many affiliations. The Cosmic Enforcers. The Council of the Wise. The Council of Elders. The Overlords of Trala. The Overlords of the Eternal. Dimension. The Heroic Warriors, the Evil Warriors, the Demons of Evil. Man, this guy gets around. (laughs) (laughs) Weaponary Weaponary is a laser pistol. His special abilities is omnipotence, immense cosmic powers, projecting energy bolts from both hands, teleportation, traveling throughout the universe, traveling through time, precognition, shape-shifting. Guys, is this guy more powerful than He-Man? Based on that, I'd say close. (laughs) I think on a certain level, he is higher compared to He-Man. I mean, keep in mind, He-Man's title is the most powerful man in the universe. So that that came about in 1982 through Mark Taylor from Mattel. He originated the character for the design for the eight-card backs to even up the number of characters for the evil warriors to the heroic warriors. And from that point on, since he was labeled an evil warrior, his affiliation has been confused. He has always been considered a neutral warrior in DC Comics media and animation filtration series. But my introduction to Zodak was through the Mattel record books, the point PowerPoint Dread. In the Golden Books, he was most notably presented as the the responsible party for introducing He-Man to the conflict with Skeletor and the quest for the two halves of Power Sword. And as many of us fans know, in the Lady Bird Masters of the Universe's books, he was considered exclusively evil warrior. So, guys, what do you think about his affiliations and this character? He is the most complex character, I think. He he's my favorite favorite Masters of the Universe character by far, and uh, I've always seen him as being a neutral party, uh, one that you know gives guidance to both Skeletor and He-Man as needed to try to come to some balance between you know to balance the forces of good and evil, um, and I really dig that. Yeah, that he was labeled as a villain and, you know, and then later as a good guy. I I have, I like to think that the original classics Zodak figure is more of the evil Zodak, whereas the Toys R Us classics Zodak is the good Zodak. The interesting point is, is that in the original B-sheet designed by Mark Taylor, Zodak was early described as Sensor, Sensor, man from the future. Heightened scientific knowledge of weapons and power acts as a supporting role to He-Man to foil Tila's mystic nature. Interesting. That's pretty cool. Yeah, because he was the spaceman-looking one out of the barbarian group back mm-hmm. when they barely got in. So, wow, it does make sense. I mean... It'd be really cool if we talked to Mark Taylor about that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'll be honest with you guys. I never had him as a kid. I, I never picked him up for some reason. But I did remember the uh, Power of uh, Point Dread book 
I do remember him from the early uh, DC comics uh, miniseries. He was fascinating, but we never saw him fight. One of the interesting points about Zodak is, is that in the German comics, he was often portrayed as a neutral slash evil warrior on both halves. He would act as though he was part of Skeletor's Council of Evil, while at the same time, all of his actions ended up helping He-Man. I always saw him, um, even from when I was a kid, uh, Marvel Comics had the Watchers. And I always looked at him kind of in that way, where he was just this presence and he would see events unfolding and then he'd step in here or there because he was supposed to be the cosmic enforcer, the cosmic balance and all that stuff. Just from what you just read off, it's like, man, I did not even give him the credit he was due for all the, I mean, he, he he's got to be paying a lot in membership fees because he, he's a member <laughs> of so many things that at this point I'm like, I, I just saw him cosmic enforcer and your Zodak collection that you have. I, I know over the years, there's people who look at the Zodak idea as that's like the Masters of the Universe equivalent of like the Green Lantern Corp almost. That character is a character that he didn't really grab me as a kid. But as the as the mythology has moved on now, it's like I'm very I'm more curious about him than I ever was because I had the least experience or at least exposure to him as a child. We barely saw him in filmation. In a couple of episodes, he did help. I mean, there was the one where uh, He-Man got sent to that other world with the rabbit guy. The weird West Plundar. Yeah, Plundar. <laughs> yeah, weird episode. Oh, I mentally yeah. try to forget that character. And he did give a moral. Mm-hmm. Which I'm like, wow. That was the most famous moral because the rainbow pops up in the back behind him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he appeared in three series. The Quest for He-Man, The Search, and The Golden Disc of Knowledge for Filmtration. Mm-hmm. It's funny that I'm reading about Zodak and he was described as a cosmic enforcer, the bounty hunter of our exciting universe. Right above that description is Stratos, a villain soaring on wings of wickedness, filling the sky with evil schemes. And then later in the Golden Books, you see him floating in the air, Zodak floating in the air. And zapping, using just his hand, zapping He-Man with energy rays or something. And he's described as the wizard Zodak and appeared in a burst of magic. Like, he's, I, I feel like they were really confused is what they wanted to, you know, what they wanted to do with him. Considering <laughs> right, he's firing a ray with his hand while he has a gun in the other. Yeah. Right, I don't exactly. want to hurt like, you, but. <laughs> oh, this gun? Or it's not a gun. It's just, you know, my torch or something. It's my magic <laughs> wand. I don't know. It's got three speeds. It'll be amazing. <laughs> you need a hair right, dry. Exactly. I got you. I got you covered. <laughs> yeah. He has both hands. <laughs> well, I do I, like his modern take. I mean, I, again, I keep going back to the DC Comics. They had that one shot, the origin of Hordak. And it goes that there was a great battle once. There was like millions of cosmic enforcers and they went to war with the Horde and they devastated each other to the point that there was just one. And it was Zodak, our Zodak versus Hordak and Hordak won. That was a more interesting tales they uh, divulged in the Zodak's mythos. I enjoyed the DC comics that they'd done here in 2012 where they showed him in a new light, almost like um, the Sandor figure with uh, mystical arms, legs, and neck body made out of stars. For me, I guess, in how I viewed him, I always saw Zodak as almost a casualty of the beginning of the line. And by that, I mean like the beginning of the line, they, they were blank slating the heck out of this. So it was... He-Man's a barbarian from a jungle tribe. And then, you know, Skeletor's a demon from Infinita, and he's going to do his thing, or Despondus, or, you know, it depends which version of that. You. So, like, the whole idea of he felt like the one out of everyone where they they just kind of go and they shrugged. And they're like, he looks like this. Okay, this, he, he felt like the most cobbled together out of anyone in the entire line to that point. That's part of where my, you know, like I had him as a kid. I probably played with him in the eight originals, but 
I would probably have used him as a bad guy because that's what he touted as originally. And some of the stuff was he was supposed to be the bad guy. So I'd have him as the bounty hunter or have him as a he, he was like the Boba Fett of my Masters of the Universe line when I was a kid more than what he turned into. But then, you know, I do like the cosmic aspect of it as well. A lot. He did get abandoned, didn't he? I mean, when you look at the mini comics, he he showed up in. I know he did the PowerPoint Dread. I can't remember if he did any of the other mini comics other than that, though. Like, I remember PowerPoint Dread very vividly. He's in that. But, I mean, they didn't really give you a leg to stand on on that poor guy. You know, <laughs> like he, he just kind of was off there doing his thing. And it's like, hey, guys, I want to play, too. You know, and um, like he meant it was the most powerful man in the universe. Done. Skeletor, evil or destruction. Done. You know, and and everybody else was a minion for Skeletor or man at arms. And, and Tila were there to help him. And it's like and then there's Zodak. And it's like, you know, as a kid, I just looked at him and I'm like, he looks interesting, but I don't know what to do with this guy. <laughs> PowerPoint Dread, I was kind of affiliated him with it and assumed that uh, he stayed with Point Dread. I didn't uh, put him with the good guys. I didn't put him with the bad guys. He just he hung out at Point Dread, and if somebody needed a ride, he'd lend it to him. He was the Uber for uh, Masters <laughs> of the Universe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I like that. And that's what I, I like more, that at least in the modern comics, they paid a little more attention. I love that Prince Adam uh, issue where they showed Prince Adam as a kid. He saved uh, his father's life. And it had Tila and Zodak looking back on this. And they were like not seen, but they were there. Zodak was like, you sure this is the one? Is he the one? And Sorceress was like, yeah. And he was there between time. And he himself just pushed the Eternian Guard's gun just a little bit to the side and he made it a little bit more powerful so when Beastman attacked Prince Adam the shot blew him away and saved Adam and saved King Randor and he said I'm not supposed to do this that was such a touching moment when I read that comic it actually brought tears to my eyes because it was like really I shouldn't do it how you said it, it was just like it really touched me mm-hmm. but at the same time I had a feeling that he did help Skeletor he did do things but we just don't see it you know and i wish i would have loved to seen an episode or a story where he held both there was that famous uh, artwork where he's shooting at he-man and man at arms and i was like that that, that was an interesting story there i you wish know, i would have known about it you know on the original uh council grace skull he was shoon, seen shooting uh the laser bolts down from the castle towers at the heroic warriors Hmm. It was a puzzle piece, I believe. Yeah, and that whole, uh, well, that whole cover art should be a whole discussion on itself because it is confusing. There's yeah. a, there is that beautiful uh, giant puzzle from Master of the Universe, and it was actually Man-at-Arms shooting, uh, using the, the turret uh, to shoot at Zodak, who was on the ground running away from him. You're right. You're absolutely right. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I really, as a kid, loved that puzzle to death. I actually have it framed. Uh, me and my dad, about, oh, I don't know, five years ago, we put it together and framed it. And uh, that, to me, is always going to be my number one favorite uh, piece of Masters of the Universe artwork. And it's so great that, that Zodak is playing the villain in that early piece. That actually is in storage, so uh, I need to get down and do what you did and frame that. See, I've seen it. I wish I bought it. But. A little bit of trivia. It's interesting that in the mini comic Slave City, Slave City, uh, the writer was going to put a villain in there named Zodak with a K, but they learned that there was already a Zodak in Masters of the Universe, so he changed the name to Lodar. We'd like to thank all of you for uh, joining us. It was a great time here uh, doing the podcast. Uh, we'd like to thank you, all the He-Man fans out there. Kelly and Crespo uh, will be joining us, uh, hopefully sometime in the future. Unfortunately, real real life keeps them away. And uh, we want to thank a big, huge thank you to He-Man.org for supporting the fan community. We want to give a shout-out to Super 7 for their awesome toy products. 
And we'd like to, of course, thank Mattel for bringing back Masters of the Universe. We are so excited to see what else is coming down the pipeline. We're looking forward to the uh, Masters of the Multi-Universe series uh, coming out in November. You're right. We're like kids before Christmas. We just want it all right now. And uh, we're just so excited. This is Renee thanking you for listening. Be sure to check out Nerds on the Couch for your latest nerd news. And subscribe to us. We're now, okay, I've been making sure, I've been adding us. We're on Apple iTunes. We're on Google. We're on Spotify. <laughs> and, of course, uh, our base is Anchor FM. So please check us out, guys. Hey, this is Sean Skavarna, and I want to thank you for joining us tonight. And uh, if you want to find me, I'm on Facebook at October Sun Art, just all one word. Good journey. And I'm David Clark. Thank you so much. This was a great time. Uh, you can find me, of course, on mostly on Facebook, adultcollector.org. And also check out the new Origins Fans Group. It's It's been growing very fast, and uh, I'm look, f- looking forward to seeing you there. Thank you. This is Rex. I thank, thank you for having me again today, and I wish you all a good journey. This episode was a Nerds on a Couch production in association with adultcollector.org.